Bible with you. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 is where we're going to start tonight. Father, we're so delighted to be in your presence. We thank you here at the beginning of this weekend for the beauty of your presence amongst us. We thank you, Lord, that you are here. You're here in grace. You're here in power. You're here in your compassion. And I pray, Father, that tonight that you would open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to the truth of Scripture. Lord, that we would be built up, Lord, in faith in the Word of God. And Lord, that we would encounter the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that tonight you would confirm your Word with signs accompanying it. Lord, that you will fill everyone who needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we pray so often, Lord, don't let one person leave this place without the joy of forgiveness and the certainty of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May I just explain before I preach tonight basically where we're going over this weekend so that you've got a rough idea because you don't want to miss the meetings. They kind of build up as they go along, all right? Tonight is in many ways the doorway. Tonight we're talking about receiving power, receiving the Holy Spirit. And in, you know, for some of us, it may feel as if I'm teaching grandma to suck eggs. <laughs> some of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit for a long time. But I would encourage you, nonetheless, to listen again to the teaching and let it build your faith. Because when Paul wrote to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, it always interests me, it's the only letter in the New Testament that Paul wrote that he didn't begin by saying, I thank my God for you. (laughs) I thought even the Corinthians who were getting drunk around the Lord's table, he said, I thank God for you. But when it came to the Galatians, they were substituting, tragically, the finished work of the cross and the freedom of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, and they were embracing legalism. And Paul says this in Galatians 3. This I want to know. He says, you can tell his frustration is, oh, you foolish. I think the Amplified says, you foolish, stupid, ignorant. You can tell he's slightly irritated. Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was graphically portrayed as crucified. This only I want to know from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observance of the law? Or because you believe what you heard. He who supplies the Spirit to you. And the Greek indicates, with, covers the cost completely with full and great generosity. Isn't that awesome? Wow. He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. Does he do it because you observe the law? Or because you believe what you heard? Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So I want to say to you right now, this is important. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And if you want to, it's not just the faith that you once moved in. It's not just the power of the Spirit you once moved in. You know, it, it's in the continual sense. I'm going to tell I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I can't help myself. Here we go. You know, in John 7, 37 to 39, that well-known passage we all know, when Jesus stands up on that last great day of the feast, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. In Greek, it's in the present continuous tense. And he says this, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and keep coming 
belonging to me. And he who believes in me and keeps believing me, as the scripture has said, the Greek says, out of the womb of his spirit will keep flowing rivers of living water. So it's not just the fact that you had an encounter with the Holy Spirit years ago. It's not just the fact you believed the word at one time and the Spirit flowed out of you. But it's actually the fact that you keep coming to Jesus, you keep believing, you keep drinking, and therefore the river will keep flowing. Amen. And that's a challenge to us all, that if the river is not flowing out of our lives as it once did, maybe it's because we've stopped coming and we've stopped believing as we once did. So I want to encourage all of us that even if what I'm going to teach you tonight is something that you may have heard many times, I want to say to you, let's come again to the Word because the Word is eternally pregnant with the release and the supply of the Holy Spirit. It's constantly there, releasing faith in our hearts that the power of God may flow. Amen. It's truth, it's truth, it's truth. So I want to encourage you. Oh, I love preaching to you guys. You're thirsty, aren't you? Can tell. Oh, that every congregation was like you lot. <laughs> You're great. It's good. It's really good. Because you can have as much as you want. So who determines the level, really? That's the truth. He who draws near to me, I will draw near to him. So, we're going to go through some basics. And if you're not yet baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is the doorway to the whole of the life in the Spirit. What the Bible describes the Christian life. Christian, the word Christian, of course, is not a biblical term, all right? So it's what the world called us. And actually, the early church embraced it because it was a tremendous accusation. It means basically a little Christ, as to be a little anointed one, like Christ, okay? Uh, how many of you would like to live under that accusation? I, I, I do. I mean, I, amen. So, you know, but it was really used as a term of mockery by the people in Antioch. Because these people loved like Jesus. They talked like Jesus. They ministered like Jesus. So who do they think they are? They're just little Christians. They were getting the idea. <laughs> well, we're to represent him. And if we are to represent Jesus accurately to the world, we have to face the fact. Luke 6 tells us that the multitudes came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. He spoke like no other man they'd ever heard. He wasn't just repeating what the Pharisees had said or what some latest teacher of the law had said. He spoke with revelation direct from heaven. And so he spoke with an authority that was unlike anything they had ever heard. It wasn't dead letter. It was living spirit. It was revelation knowledge. It was flowing out of Jesus, who is the Word made flesh. And they came to be healed of their diseases. They didn't just come because he was a nice guy. If we're going to really reveal Jesus to the world, we need both the fruit of the Spirit, which is character, which takes time to grow, doesn't it? And we need the gifts of the Spirit, of the power of God, the charisma of the Holy Spirit. It's very important that we understand. These are some fundamentals of understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit today in the lives of believers and, and, and all kinds of ministries that God gives to his church. Is the fact, you know, you can be very immature in your character, but extremely gifted and anointed. Sometimes the church gets shaken when they see a really anointed guy suddenly fall under some pressure of sin or some other issue. But let's remember this, that actually the gifts are given. Anointing, spiritual anointing in terms of gifts of the Spirit is never, ever an evidence of spiritual maturity. All right? 
Let's get that very clear right now. And that's a, that is something that in one sense we have to face dealing with the negatives that sometimes we encounter. But also let it be positive to you. Because the positive is this. Is that some people think, oh my goodness, you know, I'm just not qualified. I'm not holy enough yet to be used by God. I don't read my Bible enough yet to be used by God. I don't pray and fast enough to use, but be used by God. Can I just say right this? You didn't qualify for salvation in the first place. You know, you were given it totally by grace. You didn't qualify for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the baptism. It was given by grace. It's all grace and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in the Holy Spirit who is in you. So basically this is it. When Jesus sent out the 70, he sent them out. He said, I send you out as lambs amongst wolves. When they came back rejoicing that the demons were subject to them in the name of Jesus, he rejoiced and said, Father, you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and you revealed them to babies. Who did God choose to deal with the powers and principalities? Who did he choose to cast out demons and heal the sick and advance his kingdom? They weren't those with some letters behind their name. They were spiritual infants who had the audacity just to risk it all and trust that Jesus meant what he said. Oh, glory. I could have a dance on that one. I have a friend who used to be in charge of all the evangelism for Ulf Ekman and and, uh, Word of Life years ago in Sweden. It's quite a movement, planted 2,000 churches across Europe. Started with six people in a front room in Sweden. But the fact about it is that um, when they first went, when the, uh, when the Iron Curtain first collapsed, they went into the Czech Republic and they got a whole load of teenage kids in the kids in their early 20s and they got these guys all saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit and just fed them with faith and the word of God and who they are in Christ. These guys got so on fire. I mean, you know that truth is really working in people when you don't have to give them instructions what to do. <laughs> You know, they just get out and do it themselves because they can't help themselves. And this is really what happened. Uh, these guys got so on fire. Um, this is honestly the truth. Um, Bengt van der Munt told me this himself. As I'm talking, telling you Bengt's own um, testimony here. He said that the kids, it wasn't him, the kids ran out of the classroom. They weren't under instructions. They couldn't help themselves. They were so on fire. They went down to the local hospital and they went in and they laid hands on every sick person. Every single person was healed and the whole hospital was cleared out. And in fact, because all All of the patients gave permission for their notes to be given as a testimony. Because of that, still today, Bank has all of the personal notes of all of those people who were healed as evidence that the whole hospital was cleaned out by the power of God. Every single person healed. Still happening today. Still happening today. None of them were so-called full-time ministers. They were kids getting on fire. Believing the truth. So, anyway, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but this is tonight we're going to talk about receiving power. And then tomorrow morning, we're going to go through two areas. We're going to talk about the proclamation gifts. That's gifts that say something. That's our first session. And we're going to talk about tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. Obviously, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we've got to get into tongues a bit tonight. And we're going to pray for people tonight to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you're not already, then we're going to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, get released in tongues. And, uh, and that's really exciting. And it, it's, uh, wow, it's going to be a good time. And, um, and anybody who's just kind of feeling a bit dry, we're going to pray for you too. So... And then um, tomorrow morning, we're talking about these proclamation gifts, the benefits of speaking in other tongues. We're going to talk about the uses of other tongues. We're going to talk about interpretation of tongues, and we're going to talk about prophecy. 
Amen. Now, we could do a whole long session all on prophecy because it's a big subject and it's a very needed one. And there's lots of things that go under the name of the prophetic today that some of it is wonderful and some of it's a little bit, you know. So it's important that, let me just say this. I need to qualify that statement. Whenever the prophetic stops being subject to the word of God, sooner or later you'll be in trouble. So it's always vital that we are people of the word and the spirit, side by side, always. And so for that reason, anyway, we're going to look at the prophetic. And at the end of that session, just to give you a little bit of warning, we're going to, get, we're going to step out by faith getting released in the prophetic. Uh, my object, and you'll soon pick this up over this, over this weekend, the object here is not just for me to do all the ministry. The whole object is to get you equipped. I grew up in a charismatic church, and I'm thankful to God that I did. I was saved when I was four years old, and um, some of you would have heard my testimony last time I was here. And my mother led all three of us to Jesus. I gave my, my life to Christ, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. Um, I knew he came in. My dad told me in later years it took a long time for salvation to manifest. But despite that fact, I, I know that Jesus came into my heart. And when I was nine years old, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, God was just, God took my dad, and my dad was a very conservative, you know, Surrey Englishman who was um, working for Price Waterhouse in London as a chartered accountant, you know, three-piece suit and... <laughs> and the top hat as they wore in those days, and he was in and out like that, very conservative Baptist, got baptized in the Holy Spirit and stood on top of a chair and shouted and sang in tongues for four hours. I mean, what, I mean the rest of us didn't stand a chance. We all got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then I, I, I grew up in that environment, you know, of, of the gifts and the power of the Spirit. But you know something, it's frustrating when you are uh, in your early teens and all you hear around you is, brother, just move with the Spirit. Move with the Spirit. That's what you need. You need to move with the anointing. With us. And I would sit there and think, well, that's great, wonderful, but how? How? Could you give me some practical stuff to, to hang my coat on, you know, my faith on? I, I, I need something. Faith doesn't work without knowledge. You need some practical know-how. And God's intention is, is, is not that it would be a mystery, but that it would be truth revealed to us, that we could cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so... Um, so the whole object here is to be able to help us to learn how to cooperate with the Spirit. How does he speak to you? How do you recognize his voice beyond anything else, any other voice? How do you know it's him? What about his timing? What about when the atmosphere shifts and he starts to do something? What about different anointings and how he comes? He's here. He's going to glorify Jesus amongst us. And that's what he was sent to do. So let's just give room for him. And, uh, and let him equip you. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Open your mind to him. And let him minister to you. In scripture, we, it's very important that we understand that knowledge is not primarily academic. It's experience. It's revelation. Adam knew his wife Eve. Please don't be offended by this statement. That doesn't mean... He got a theological degree about her. <laughs> okay? It was a close, intimate relationship. And that's exactly what the knowledge of God is in Scripture. And so God's desire is that every one of us would know the Lord, know the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do, deal with that, and we're going to step out in the prophetic, all of us. Tonight. Then we're going to have a second session where we're talking about the revelation gifts.
Revelation gifts are words of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. And again, we're going to have an equipping time in that again. Okay? And then last of all, in the evening, we're going to talk about the power gifts. And we're going to have us a, a, a good time, the Lord granting our, our pouring of the Holy Spirit in gifts of healings, in the working of miracles, and special faith. And it will be a healing service involved with that as well. So if you know anybody who needs a, a miracle from God, please bring them along. And let's believe God together for the Lord in mercy, grace, and faithfulness to touch them with his power and heal them and release them. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's where we're headed. And Sunday, you never know. We'll just um, we'll wait on the Lord over that. Right. Now, Adrian, what time do you normally wrap up? Midnight. Midnight. Oh, that sounds good. I like that. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, I was always told the old preacher's joke, you know, what does it mean when a preacher takes his watch off and put it on the podium? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Anyway, here we are. <laughs> Let's read Luke chapter 3. Okay, we're going to go here for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. How many of us understand Jesus is the model for every Christian's life and ministry? Amen. He is. He is the pattern son. He is the firstborn from the dead. Amen. And so the scripture says in 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to abide in him must walk also as Jesus walked. And so we have to see that because Jesus is the pattern son, the firstborn from the dead, then he set a pattern for all of us to walk in. So we've got to walk with him. And thank God we can do that by the Spirit of God because now we're in Christ and Christ is in us and we have the same Holy Spirit in us and on us. Amen? So we have to look and see the pattern of Jesus. We have to face the fact that for the first 30 years of Jesus' life on this earth, in, in, you know, he, it, as he's coming into ministry, there were no miracles. We don't have any record of any miracles that Jesus did for 30 years. And so the Word of God tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, that Jesus laid aside his heavenly glory and he came as a man. He humbled himself as a man. He laid aside the heavenly privileges, the privileges of his godhood, as it were. All right? So when he came to this earth, though he's fully God and fully man, yet he didn't do miracles so much out of his divinity and his personhood, but as a perfect man under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Amen. And so, you know, one has to ask the question, well, why would, why would God need the Spirit of God to anoint him? Because the Spirit of God came on Jesus in his manhood. The Word made flesh. That's why. Sin entered the world through a man. Redemption had to come into the world through a man. Amen. And so Jesus comes here He's fully God, he's fully man, and we find in John 3, verse 21, says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and in you I am well pleased. Wonderful words. If you're a preacher, you could preach a storm on this, you know, that while he prayed, the heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended. But the fact is we find here that as Jesus is baptized, he has positioned himself to receive the Holy Spirit through his obedience to the Father. 
Jesus' baptism, of course, his, his baptism in water is totally different to our baptism in water as believers. We get baptized as believers, getting rid of that old sin nature. But Jesus had no old sin nature to get rid of. And so he submitted to the righteous ordinance of God for his day. He yielded in total obedience to the Father and got baptized at that time. But he had no sin to get rid of. He did it to fulfill all righteousness. Because Christ is our righteousness. Amen? And so we see this, that the Spirit of God came upon him. Then we find in Luke 4 verse 1, it says that Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So the Spirit has come on Jesus. The Spirit has now filled Jesus. And the Spirit is now leading Jesus. And now we come to verse 14. He's overcome Satan in the desert by the word of God in his mouth. May I just say that if Jesus needed to speak the word of God out of his mouth to overcome Satan, I would suggest that we need to do the same. Amen. And he overcame Satan. Can I just pause here? He overcame him by the word of God and he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He was already filled with the Spirit, but he returned in the power of the Spirit. What made the difference between the filling and the power that was in him being released? He didn't yield. He didn't yield to the tempter. Not once. He overcame by the word of God. Why is this so important? I'll tell you why this is so important. This is important because, and and I just want to offer this to you as a thought for a moment, for our Christian lives, very practically. When the enemy tempts you to sin, do you think he's just after you committing a bit of bad behavior? I think he's after a bit more than that. He's after, ultimately, your faith. And if your conscience can become so defiled that you cannot rise up in your faith, at that moment, you become unusable for the power of the Spirit to flow freely through you. It doesn't mean that God couldn't use you, but what we're saying is this, is it's hard to operate in faith and in the power of the Spirit when your conscience is compromised. Ultimately, the enemy is trying to get the word out of your heart. Mark chapter 4. That's what Jesus said. That the enemy uses different things to try and get the word out of our heart. That's what he's afraid of. And it's the word that is the source of your faith. So if he can get that out, then he can, he can stop you from stepping out in faith and, being, and moving in faith and therefore also releasing the power of the Spirit. But Jesus, not at one point, did he compromise with the enemy. He overcomes by the word of God. The power of the Spirit comes on him. And then we find that he goes in on the Sabbath day, comes to Nazareth, and on the Sabbath day he's handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it's written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And so he declares to us right there and then why the Spirit of the Lord was given. Why the Spirit of God was upon him. 
to preach the gospel to the poor. How many of you know that you need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to the poor? You do. You need the anointing of God. Most times I get up to preach the gospel, I haven't the foggiest what I'm going to say. You just, you know, preaching is completely different to teaching. Teaching is line on line, precept on precept. You know, it can seem quite academic and logical. But and, and there's an anointing to teach. But you know, there is an anointing to preach. And preaching, the Greek word kurizo, kerygma, you know, it means to herald. To herald. You're literally just stepping up and holding forth. And the Spirit of God is, is giving you revelation and giving you one word after another and bringing the illustrations and the stories and everything else as what's needed for the moment. The boldness, the courage, the fire. It's by the Spirit. Amen. And it's powerful. So Billy Graham used to say that when he was preaching the gospel, he would be relying on the voice behind his voice as he preached. Because the spirit of man will instantly recognize the truth and the word of the creator. And the spirit of the creator on the word. So it takes the spirit of the Lord to do that. It takes the spirit of the Lord to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. My goodness, it's wonderful when Jesus does this stuff. I'm, I'm tempted every time I say one of these statements. I've got a backlog of stories back here I want to tell you. But if I tell you them, we'll never get through the message. We really will be till midnight. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to hold back a little bit on these. But, you know, the Spirit of God can do a work in you in moments that psychology... And that all of the natural help of man could not achieve in a lifetime. I had a, a, an event happen in Cheam down in Surrey at a very, quite a large Anglican, charismatic Anglican church where the Holy Spirit was poured out and the, 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 there were bodies in between the pews and God was moving and all kinds of stuff was happening. There was a woman right at the back and she grabbed hold of this solid wooden pew in front of her. And this is because she saw what God was doing. She was a little frightened. She took hold of this wooden pew and she said to the Lord, I am never going on the floor. Well, that's not a good thing to say to the Lord because the next thing she knew, she was on the floor and nobody touched her. It was just her and Jesus. And she was on the floor and she laughed and cried systematically one after the other for 40 minutes as God healed her up and when she got up from the floor she was a transformed woman now I had to wait a while to hear her testimony but this is it two years before that evening she had gone into Sutton a nearby town she'd gone into Sutton to see her mother and when she went to see her mother who was suffering with depression she used to go and see her regularly because she knew she was in a bit of a bad way and she banged on the door and when she banged on the door there was no answer so she banged on the door again, hoping that, that maybe her mum would open it. She had this terrible feeling that something was wrong. Finally, with the help of a neighbor, she managed to break the door down. When she got in there, she found her mother hanging. It was very tragic. And her mother, through this depression, uh, finally chose to take her own life. She cut her down, but by the time she got her down, it was too late. Her mum was dead. That experience left such trauma in her emotions, in her spirit, that for two years she had neither laughed nor cried. She, had, she was quite a wealthy lady. She spent a lot of money on top flight psychologists and people like that trying to help her. Nobody could touch the depths of that pain inside of her. But in 40 minutes, the Holy Spirit completely set her free and released her. She's a transformed woman. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. 
It's the Holy Spirit who does it. We need the Spirit of God. We can't set captives free, you know, without the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm all for freedom in Christ and truth encounter and all of that. But, you know, how many of us know also that sometimes in the middle of that truth encounter, we need a Holy Spirit encounter too. It's true, we do. I remember being attacked by a wild man in Africa who came to attack me. You know, God bless him. And this guy, they had chained him up. He had broken chains however many times. He was like the gathering demoniac. He came to attack me. as I was only going into a place to get some chips, you know. And he came over to attack me. You know, we just had an amazing gospel meeting. And, and then we're walking just to get a bit of something to eat. And he comes to attack me. He's wild. He's half naked. He's caked with mud. He's frothing his eyes, rolling back. He goes out to attack me. You know, and at that time in England, the way we got people delivered, we would get them to, you know, confess this, renounce this, you know, get rid of the, uh, you know, Confess the sins of your great-grandma and, and whatever else. But as he came to attack me, I thought to myself, you know, he just doesn't appear to be in the frame of mind to tell me about his grandma. I just, you know. But a dear African the apostolic leader, a good friend of mine, he stepped in between us. I was a very young man. I was 19 years old. I was just getting going in the ministry and you know, he just stepped in between us and he put his arms out and he held this man in. And he began to stroke his face and just say, Jesus, Jesus. And this wild man just went like this. Tears started to flow through his cake mud. And he looked up, you know, and David, as he held him, just looked at me and said, John, the demons don't like this. They want to torment, but perfect love casts out fear. And then he held him in his shoulders and he looked him in the eye and touched his face. God bless you, sir. Always gave him such dignity. We used to get 20 or 30 of these kind of people together at any one time, get them all delivered and restored to society. Amazing, amazing ministry. But just, you know, how faith works through love and the power of the Spirit. It's wonderful. May I say, as I'm just on that subject briefly, don't ever seek power for power's sake. You're misfocused. Power is there with a purpose. To proclaim the good news of Jesus. To heal the hurting. To set captives free. To pour out God's love on a hurting world. To heal the sick. To restore the dead to life. Yes. So let's remember it's faith and love. That's got to be right at the center, the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave. But we need the power to express him accurately. Amen. Okay, let me just fast forward for a moment because our time's moving on. I want to finish preaching within 20 minutes. And if you believe in miracles, start praying now. And, um, and then we want to minister some as well, okay? Uh, that's absolutely right. So I, I just want to go for this with you. Can I come a bit closer to you? See the whites of your eyes? It's good. All right. Um, we find this, that as Jesus goes on through his ministry, by the time he gets to around, around Luke chapter 9, 
and, and, uh, and Luke chapter 10, we find that the ministry is just growing and growing and growing. Multitudes and multitudes of people are coming to Jesus and they're coming to, to hear him teach. They're coming to be healed. They're coming to be delivered. Some of them actually, the Bible says, are even having their maimed, uh, you know, people who are maimed are actually having their whole legs regrown. New arms grown. If you have an NIV Bible, it misses that out, unfortunately, but it misses out 13,000 other words as well. So, you know, but the King James and the New King James will, will tell you it, and the American Standard will tell you it, that gives you the difference in Matthew 15 where it says that they brought to him the blind, the deaf, the lame, and the maimed, and the mute, And they laid him at his feet and they marveled as they saw the blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers cleansed, the lame walk, and the maimed made whole. See, there's a difference, isn't there, between being lame and being maimed. If you're lame, you've got a leg, but it doesn't work. If you're maimed, you need a new leg. And Jesus gave new legs. He still can. He still can. So as the ministry is growing, Jesus needs to release more laborers for the harvest. This is part of what all of this is about. And so if they're going to represent Jesus accurately now, they can't just go about just teaching the word of God, but there's no miracles, because that wouldn't be real Jesus, you see. Would it? That wouldn't be the real Jesus. Well, it deserves amen, John. I'm just going to say that again. That wouldn't be the real Jesus. Amen. I talked to an evangelistic ministry that's very well known in this country recently who said, well, you know, we're very much into debating and into reasoning and, and all of that. So I said, well, and what about, what about the miracles of Jesus? What about ministering to those who are broken and, and, and you know, sick and need healing and miracles? Said, oh, well, well, we let people find out themselves about healing. You know, it's not really our major focus. So I said, well, how can you as a ministry accurately represent Jesus without miracles? I mean, he spent two-thirds of his ministry doing them. It's normal Christianity. What happens is this. In order for the the miracles to take place, remember, these guys are ordinary guys. A tax collector, fisherman. Two of them are even what we probably were called by the Romans terrorists. (laughs) But... But in essence, these guys are just ordinary people following Jesus, called by him into, to follow him. And he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you into something. And so what he does is that he, first of all, he sends out the 12. The 12 apostles who he appointed firstly to be with him. And secondly, that he might send them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And that order is right, and that order remains the same today. Firstly, to be with him. Secondly, from his presence, to go out and proclaim the good news and heal the sick and set people free. And so we find this, he sends out the 12. After that, he sends out, in Luke 10, he sends out the 70. I love this with the 70 because there's two different Greek words for, uh, you know, there's an apostle and there's apostolic. And when it comes to Luke 9, it's the apostles. 
Okay, they're apostles all the time. Whether they are doing their ministry, whether they're eating their cornflakes in the morning, whatever they are, they're always apostles 24 hours a day. They are sent ones. But then there is the other word that's the verb that just means to be sent. And the 70 were not apostles. They were just simply sent. But the thing that's wonderful is this, is that they had the same authority and power imparted to them to do what Jesus sent them to do as the apostles were operating in when they were functioning in their ministry. And so we find this, that actually God still releases authority and power upon us as his people that we can do the same works as Jesus did and multiply the harvest. Go and this is God's intention, that all of us would operate like that within the sphere that God has appointed to us in life and in ministry. And so he says this in John chapter 14 and verse 12. He said that he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than thee shall he do because I go to the Father. Because I go to the Father. Well, what happened when Jesus went to the Father? Number one, he offered his blood in the holiest of all to make atonement for our sins and to become our great high priest, to represent us before the Father. He also received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and poured him out upon us so that we could represent him to the world. Amen. And so he says this, that he or she who believes in me will do the same works that I've been doing. There's always debate about what the greater works are. I would suggest to you that really until you've actually walked on water and fed 5,000 people with a bag of fish and chips or something, you, you know, and raised the dead and cleansed lepers, you ought not to be too bothered about the other. It should keep you busy for a while. But really the works of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus are intended for everyone who believes and receives the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is very important. The next things we're just going to touch, I want to touch for a moment on a major issue. Now, this is a Pentecostal church, so I understand this won't be a problem for most of you. But some of the churches I go to, this is theologically a problem. And so we need to knock a couple of, a couple of unholy cows on the head, if you don't mind. The first one is this. There is a difference between being born of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit. It seems there is some confusion in some, um, some areas of the church in the UK today on the doctrine of baptisms. And basically, there are four. Okay, I'm not going to get into this in depth, but there are four. The first one's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, around verse 14, and it says this. You were baptized by one spirit. We were baptized by one spirit, not in one spirit, by one spirit into the body of Christ. Okay, and so what it's talking about is that at salvation, the Lord takes, the Holy Spirit takes us, and he places us into his body where he wills. Okay, amen. The second is baptism in water. The third is baptism in the Holy Spirit. And of course, you could say this three, you could say this four, because some would say there's the baptism in fire, or others would say it's the baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire. But the fact about it is, is that there is a difference, a clear difference, between being born of the Spirit and being baptized in or immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. We find that in John chapter 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well and he says to her, you know, he brings her to a place where she's thirsty for eternal life. 
And, uh, and he just says to her, he who believes in me, the waters that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. He uses the Greek word zoe for eternal life, same as in John 3.16. And so he's talking about salvation. And then we get to John 7, and he very specifically talks about the Holy Spirit. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. John is specific in verse 39. He says, this he spoke of the Spirit who was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Amen. Then we have John 20, 21, where Jesus appears after the resurrection and he comes to his disciples. The windows are closed. The doors are closed. Don't you love this? And Jesus just walks right through the wall and he appears amongst them and he says, peace to you. How many of you know he probably, they probably needed to hear that at that moment? Peace to you. And then he blows on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, what was he doing? Well, what's interesting is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, 46 says this. The first Adam became a living being. How did that happen? God created man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into him his own life and he became a living being. But the last Adam, Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. And so the new creation of God begins just like the first creation where Jesus comes as the Word made flesh. He breathes into them the life of the Spirit of God. They are born again. But still, he says in Luke 24, 49, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Amen. Because the Spirit within is for your benefit, but the spirit upon is for the world. And those you minister to. Glory to God. So, there they are waiting on the day of Pentecost. Oh, my, my, my. They're all gathered in one accord. It always speaks of a unity that leads to action. Have you ever been part of a pastor's relationship group, a kind of pastor's fellowship, where we have tea and coffee and biscuits and talk about each other's churches but never do anything? And of course, it's all about relationship. But the fact is, it's got to be about more than relationship. It's got, about working. It's got to be about working together for the kingdom, to advance the kingdom. Amen. And so, they're all waiting in one accord for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall. And suddenly, like a mighty rushing wind. Have you ever been in a meeting when the Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind? I have. I've been in a few. I remember one time in India preaching to 60,000 people. I mean, honestly, that crusade was just awesome. But on the last night, the 60,000 are there. And the Holy Spirit said, we've given the appeal for salvation. Thousands have come forward. We're about to pray for the sake, and the Holy Spirit suddenly said to me on the inside, he said to me, I'm going to come like a wind. Now, it was a really, if you've ever been to India, southern India here, this was a really warm, balmy Indian evening. There was no wind around at all. Anyway, I said by faith what I felt I'd heard in my heart. And I said, if any of you right now, you need a miracle from Jesus, I want you to put one hand on your body, raise another one to heaven. God is going to come himself like a wind. And then I stepped back. It's at that moment you really, you know, you want to know that you've heard from God. Because <laughs> I'm standing back and they're all looking at me and nothing's happening, you know. <laughs> Lord. But I just waited. And I said, thank you, Lord. Just confirm your word. Just confirm your word. Everybody's kind of looking at me. 
They do. They're, I'm not insulting. They do that. They do that. And, um, but actually, the first one that got healed, you know, and I said, what's the Lord done for you? And he went like this. I said, has he healed your neck? <laughs> oh, oh, no, sorry. Forgive me. And I thought, they really do. My goodness. <laughs> you know, but anyway, forgive me. That's just, it's just, you know, it's an aside. But they do do that. While I'm standing there, suddenly a wind, a powerful wind, blows up from seemingly nowhere. And it just hits the place. I mean, honestly, people's hair is blowing in the wind. Demons are screaming out of people. They're getting delivered. I mean, God was in the wind. The hair on the back of my neck stood up on end. I just, man, I just, you feel God in this wind. We, you know, we then had an hour and a half of testimonies of blind seeing, cripples walk, deaf heard. It's so much easier when, when God just does it. He just comes and woof, hits the place. I mean, honestly. I was, in, I was in, in Argentina. I was in a church about this size when the Holy Spirit told me to speak on deliverance from secret sin. And then told me to share my own testimony on deliverance. I said, do I have to? Do I? You know, that's the kind of instruction you don't really want to hear. You know, and, but anyway, I shared what I shared. And then the Lord said to me, now sit down. I'll deliver the people myself. Tell them if they want deliverance to come forward. Now this, I don't know what this church believes. But, you know, that church did not believe that Christians can have demons. All I can say to you is, I was always taught that Christians can have whatever they want. You know, so, <laughs> I, I, you know, the fact about it is that here we are in this place. And the Spirit of God suddenly I mean, I gave this appeal. Two-thirds of the congregation came forward, and, and the pastor looked shocked. You know, and, and the whole place is packed with people coming forward to repent of secret sin in their lives. I'm sitting down over there. I've told them I'm not praying for anybody. I said, God's going to come and minister to you by himself. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just waiting and trusting that I heard right. You know, and then suddenly, the wind of God comes right through the wall. And hits, it hits by the time the wind is here. And you could feel it. By the time the wind is here, this quarter are all over the place. These are the people who a few moments ago had their hands raised while worshiping Jesus. And here they are, and some of them are like snakes on the ground. Some of them are screaming out demons. Some of them are vomiting. And the pastor's looking at me like, what do I do now? <laughs> so, but by the time the wind was here, this lot over here are standing up praising God. Their face is radiant with the glory of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, God just hit the whole place. And man, you know, God can do a work of deliverance by himself just whew, hit the place by the power of God. Jesus said, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Amen. And Acts chapter 2, the wind came, they were, and appeared like tongues as of fire. Not of fire, but like fire. Not a wind, but like a wind. And came to rest on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they all spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. May I pause at this moment to say a very important key for some of you in a moment who will come if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's this. You know, when I was nine years old, I was prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit. But I didn't speak in tongues at all. In fact, I didn't speak in tongues for three years. And the reason I didn't speak in tongues for three years was nobody told me I had to open my mouth and speak. <laughs> I felt the Holy Spirit all over me. I felt his presence at times overwhelm me, come and fill me. Uh, you know, but I, you know, 
I mean, I got so desperate for it. And growing up in a charismatic fellowship, everybody sang in tongues like tonight. And so when everybody else sang in tongues, I would make it up. I just did something, you know what I mean? They, all, they were all going for it. So I wanted to do something, you know. And I didn't want to seem to be the odd one out. So I did a few shundies and whatever else. I don't know. But, but I did. And, uh, you know, and then one day I got caught out in the youth group at church because there I was and... and um, the youth pastor was right next to me, and it was just a social, and we were all having, doing games and fish and chips and whatever else. And at the end of it, he suddenly said, now, before we all go, guys, let's just put a, an arm around each other's shoulders here, and we're going to pray in tongues together for a few moments. And he's standing right next to me. I thought, oh, no, I'm going to be found out. So I start going to my shovel, 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 or something like that. And suddenly I become aware of somebody looking at me, now, if you've ever had your eyes closed and you can sense someone's looking at you, and, and I, I'm, I kind of. <laughs> and I see the pastor looking at me like this. He said, I don't think that's tongues, John, is it? Like this. <laughs> and uh, strangely enough, <laughs> he said, Come on, everybody, let's get our hands on John, you know. And, and I said, That's the ball patch there, you know. They just, but they all got their hands on me and laid hands on me. <laughs> but. Anyway, and, and he just encouraged, the pastor encouraged me. He's a big fella. And he gave me a, you know, when I started, got a few words. I started speaking, and a few words started to come. And he said, you've got to speak it out. And speak it by faith, and then the words will flow. The Holy Spirit is the parakletos. He comes alongside to help, to empower. He won't do it for you, but he'll empower you to do it. And so because of that, you've got to step out by faith. It's true with tongues. It's true with healing. It's true with anything. With prophecy, with any way, you, you've got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus did. He did what he saw the Father doing. We'll talk more about that tomorrow morning. But, but you know, this is, this is vital. And so I opened my mouth to speak, and then words started to come. And then he gave me a big whack in the back, and more words came. <laughs> you know. And actually, I probably got, I don't know, six or seven words I kept going with for a while. And then I went to a prayer meeting, and my dad was there with me. And he could see I just kept repeating the same words. And when we got home, we got out of the car, and he kind of leant over the car for a minute. He looked at me and said, John, I heard you praying in tongues tonight. I said, yeah. He, says, he looked at me and said, Jesus promised us rivers, not little drips. Go back and ask for some more. <laughs> and actually, he was right. That's what I needed. And so, um, I, you know, we'll talk more about it tomorrow about the development of tongues and how it builds up your inner man and all that. But, but my goodness, I can remember, I, I started to speak in a few tongues and, uh, and I thought, right, I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm going to get more. My dad's bookshelves were lined with the testimonies of revivalists. And I, I, you know, one thing I knew about revivalists and that is that they prayed and they brought heaven down. And I thought, my goodness, I want to be one of them. I'm going to bring a shake, you know, that's not going to do all this. So I got up there into my bed and I got on my knees and I started to pray away in tongues and you know after a while I thought oh my goodness this is hard work <laughs> I started to get tired and I thought man this tongue stuff is you know this is real crucifixion this I just man I just after a while I thought you know I, I must have been praying at least two hours you know and, and I just happened to just look down at my watch I felt a bit unspiritual doing it but I quickly just looked down at my watch and I would only be going five minutes. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, oh, Lord. I thought, what hope is there for me? <laughs> but I had to learn. The trouble is, you see, we've learned to live so much out of our soul and out of our flesh. And that needs breaking. We need to learn to, to, learn to live out of our spirit much more. 
And so praying in tongues is a tremendous, wonderful gift to edify us, to build us up in the Spirit. And so, um, you know, but it was a wonderful lesson to me to learn to speak out with other tongues. You have to speak it out. Amen. One other thing for some of you who maybe have been prayed for many times to speak in tongues, maybe you haven't yet. Some of us get hung up on, are we good enough? Have we done enough to get the gift? Or is the gift really for me? After all, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, around verse 26, he said, do all speak in tongues? Question mark, anticipating a negative response. We must get the context right. He says, God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, then prophets, then workers of miracles. And he goes on and teaches workers of miracles, administrations, varieties of tongues. He's talking about ministry gifts that are set in order in the church. And then he says, are all apostles? The answer is obviously no. But here's the question. Are we all sent? Yes. Are we all, are all prophets? No. But can we all prophesy? Yes. Do we all have the ministry gift of varieties of other tongues? No. But can we all speak in tongues? Yes. So this is fundamental. The first time the Jewish people received the Holy Spirit, 120 in the upper room, all of them spoke with other tongues. First time the Spirit falls on the Gentile, well, I'm just moving, I'm stepping out of Acts 8 for the moment to Acts 10 here, and Peter preaches in Cornelius' house. They're all baptized in the Holy Spirit. They all start speaking in tongues. And you know, I think this is a remarkable thing because he then has to go into the Jewish, sorry, he has to go back to Jerusalem and he comes before the apostles and the elders and they want to know, why were you in a Gentile home? It's amazing. Only a few years on from Jesus' ascension, they've lost the plot already. You know, and so, and so here he is and he says, why, what were you doing in a Gentile home? And he said, well, as I, he talks all about the dream that he had and, and how the Spirit told him to go doubting nothing and all of this. And then he says that as he's preaching to all these people in Cornelius' house, the Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. How did they know that he fell on them? Because we heard them speak with other tongues and magnify God. And the Bible says that they all went quiet. And with awe, they looked at one another and said, so God has granted repentance unto life to the Gentile world. (laughs) So, you know, amazing. But this is the fact. You know, I I must be honest with you. I don't like committees. Most of them are set up about much to do about nothing. I always think if you're going to have a committee, have it about something worthwhile, like a gospel campaign. (laughs) But don't have a committee about whether or not we should replace the pastor's tires on his car. If they need replacing, replace them. Amen. You all ought to be shouting amen. You're very quiet. <laughs> amen. Anyway. <laughs> I can see we need to teach about that. Just, anyway. So, but the fact is that, you know, it's really interesting. This was a committee that had to make... How many of you would like to be on the committee where you had to make the decision, has God granted repentance unto life to the Gentile world? Think about the implications of your choice. That's pretty heavy duty, isn't it? And on what grounds did they make the decision? When it comes down to it, really, we heard them speak with other tongues. I, I, I hear people say this to me. I've, you hear all sorts down the years. I've heard people say to me, John, tongues isn't the most important gift. I said, well, where do you get that from? They said, well, it just isn't, is it? I mean, after all, it's at the bottom of the list in First Corinthians 12. 
I said, okay, well, let's just take that logic for a minute. So obviously, of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control is the least important because it's at the end of the list. And obviously, of the three things that abide, faith, hope, and love, love is obviously the least important because it's at the bottom of the list. <laughs> I said, come on. <laughs> it's just nonsensical. You know, God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, ultimately, I'm pleased in what I'm sharing with you. You know, and there's, there's more we could share. In fact, while we're doing it, let me just touch on it just quickly, and then we'll pray. You know, Acts chapter 8. This has frustrated evangelical theologians for years, particularly sensationists. Acts 8, 14 to 17, after Philip has this tremendous gospel campaign in, in Samaria. And demons are driven out and the lame are healed and there's great joy in the city and just love it. It's just a wonderful time and God's moving. But when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them to pray for them that they may receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized into the name of Jesus. So for those who say that to be born again and baptized in water is enough. Well, clearly the apostles who trained under Jesus differ from that opinion. To them, it obviously was not enough. Well, why did they send them? To pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need the power of the Spirit to live our lives for Christ, to overcome, to walk in victory, and to be effective witnesses for Christ in our world. We really do. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul, who writes a third of the New Testament, went to the third heaven and saw things that were unlawful for a man to utter. And he meets some believers in Ephesus, Acts 19, 1-6. And he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, to ask that question demands that it must be possible not to. Otherwise, why ask the question? He's not talking about being recreated by the Spirit. He's talking about receiving the power of the Spirit. They said, we didn't even know there was such a a Holy Spirit. He then, you can tell the New Testament expectation. Paul is surprised. He says, what baptism then were you baptized with? He said, well, John's baptism. Oh, that was unto repentance. That's looking forward to the cross. And then he tells them all about Jesus. And they get re-baptized, baptized into the name of Jesus. And when they come up, he lays hands on them. And they prophesy and speak in other tongues. Isn't that great? Absolutely wonderful when the Holy Spirit falls in. Now, I just want to say this as we wrap this up. If you are somebody, most of you who will probably come from a a Pentecostal or charismatic background and have no problem with the things I've said. But if you come from a background where this is some of these questions have been issues to you, I don't want you to come down the front here for prayer at the end. As I've seen some people come in, some evangelical churches I've preached in, and they come down at the end and and they're kind of like this. They put their hands and say... All right, okay, that's it there. Finally, I I guess I have to agree that I'm theologically convinced that I have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, you know, will you just put your hand on me and let's get on with it. And you know what? They don't get much. And there's a reason. Because the biblical qualification is, if anyone is thirsty, you've got to want him. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to those who accommodate him. It comes to those who are thirsty for him. He's got some desire after him. Some passion for God. My goodness. I had a young nine-year-old boy down in Surrey in a full gospel businessman's meeting. I thought, what's he doing there? They start them early in business in Surrey. So he comes up to me, and after hearing about the Holy Spirit, he says to me, John, will you pray for me, please? I just so want the Holy Spirit. I so want to speak in tongues. I so want to speak in tongues. Please pray for me to receive the Holy Spirit. He was so desperate, and that's the way he was talking. There was this kind of urgency in his voice. 
And um, I looked at him and I said, well, you know, in Acts chapter 19, I said, the apostle Paul laid hands on the believers and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And I'm going to lay my hands on you. And when I do, the Holy Spirit will fall on you. He looked at me with a look that kind of said, I don't care what Acts 19 says, just do it. And I think like, you know. So he looks at me like this, and I remember I, I, put, I rested, I don't know if you've ever done this, I rested my hand on him to pray for him to receive the Holy Spirit. I, I hadn't yet prayed. I'm getting ready to pray. I'm just kind of positioning myself, just, you know, getting that place to release faith and whatever else in prayer room. But he so got it in his little heart that when I lay my hands on him, the Holy Spirit will come on him. At the moment, I just casually rested my hand on his shoulder. He burst out in other tongues. I just felt like, just, no, stop, I haven't prayed yet. I haven't prayed. <laughs> but, but you see, he met the conditions. He believed. He came. He was thirsty. He received. Amen. It's as simple as that. That the world can't receive the spirit of truth. You've got to believe in Jesus first. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit and all the wonders of life in him and the power of the spirit of God and his miracles and his gifts and to know the wonderful presence of Jesus as we felt in this place tonight when we worship him. If you want that in your life, first of all, you must be what the Bible calls saved. You must believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. as a divine substitute He didn't die in sympathy for us. He died in substitute for us. He died in our place. Paid the price for our sins. Rose again from the dead on the third day. And the Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's the promise of God. It's solid as a rock. But you need to receive Jesus before you can receive the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to say this to you right now. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask right now for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed, please, just for a few moments. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. Lord, we honor your presence here tonight. We thank you that you're here. And Lord Jesus, I pray right now that your power and your spirit, your presence, would just come upon each and every one. Father God, I pray right now for the convicting work, the drawing work of the Holy Spirit in every life here. We're going to pray a prayer together right now. I want you to pray this out loud after me. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, or if you've been away from the Lord, I want you to pray this prayer. Believe it in your heart. Say it with your mouth. Jesus will forgive your sins. He will come into your heart. He will prepare a place in heaven for you. The Bible promises that. And so it doesn't matter what you've done or what your background is. This, is. this is it. This is your moment. This is the day, the moment of salvation for you. And so I want you to pray this prayer after me. Say it out loud and believe it in your heart. Jesus will hear and answer. And the rest of us, let's pray together and support these who need you for a first time or as a recommitment to Christ. Let's just pray this. Say this out loud to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you love me that you died for my sins and rose from the dead to give me a new life. Lord, I turn from my sin. I give my whole life to you. I believe you're risen and I receive you as my Savior. I confess you as Lord. Jesus is Lord. 
And I'm going to love you and serve you as long as I live. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The gift, all right? There is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom.